0: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have attorney Joseph Tully. He specializes in cannabis law in the state of California, and he's also the author of State of Collusion. Welcome to the show, Joseph.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, David. It's uh, great always to speak with you.
0: So why the state of collusion?
1: Why? um, How did that come about? It came about as a result of years and years and years of frustration um, working within the criminal justice system and seeing blatant injustices and seeing blatant double standards and just, you know, know, seeing seeing corruption. just right in open court, um, occur on a daily basis is, is just, um, I needed an outlet. I I felt that the public needed to know what the court system is really like from an insider's perspective.
0: So we talk about justice on this show a lot, as you might imagine, but I think a lot of people misunderstand attorneys and their role. And at its core, Attorneys are the defense that we have against the government intruding not only into private lives but also into taking rights away. Right?
1: Correct. Yes. Um, it's funny. For Christmas, from a relative, I got a T-shirt. It, it was a seat from the CIA, um, you know, store at their facility, and it said, "You know, CIA, we're America's first line of defense." And I thought to myself, "No, you're not." Defense attorneys are the first line of defense for America. Um, defense attorneys are basically the structure that keeps the Constitution in check. If it weren't for defense attorneys keeping the government in check every day, um, our laws would not be followed because we get egos, we get corruption, we get people who want to take shortcuts, and before you know it, the law would not be followed because every you know there'd be too many exceptions and. People would feel entitled to break the law as as they are even you know right now. So um, defense attorneys fulfill a crucial role in keeping the Constitution um, upheld by the government.
0: And it seems like there's a balance in the system. There's a balance needed between the power of the government and the ability of the individuals to fight against that power. And for whatever reason, that balance has been thrown off.
1: Correct. I mean, in just listening to um, your statement just now, I mean, think about how much money the government has, how many resources the government has, um, how many entitlements they have. For instance, if I have a domestic violence case and the Complaining witness um, makes a statement on Facebook, ha ha ha, I just got my boyfriend locked up by lying um, and saying that he committed domestic violence when he didn't, and then deletes it five minutes later. The government can get that information. I can't. And it's, I can't, I'm not privy to that information. I can't subpoena it. I can't force Facebook to give it to me. And that's written into um, U.S. code. So, I mean yeah if you're an individual facing the wrath of the government my heart goes out to you get the best attorney that you can and pray
0: and i think a lot of people will say well aren't you being a little melodramatic here but you know if you think about how easily the government can come into my place of uh, where i live or my place of work uh, with with guns ablazing and kick down the door and throw me to the ground and and take away my liberty. It's kind of scary.
1: It is. I, look, we don't have to dig for examples of this. Uh, my dad sent me an email yesterday about someone in Texas who was arrested. They were actually from California driving to a different state, I think somewhere back east, and they were arrested in Texas with like. 2,500 pounds of industrial hemp. And um, he had spent 30 days in custody and was screaming the whole time, Listen, that is industrial hemp. It doesn't contain more than 0.3 THC. And um, prior to the dismissal, the lead DEA agent in charge of the uh, investigation and arrest said, Oh, I wasn't aware of the law. I didn't know. So you know, you could get arrested at gunpoint, you know, treated like a war criminal and, you know, be in jail for 30 days where they don't treat you very nice at any point in this process. And then at the end of it all, they just say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And if it was up to most judges and DAs, that would be it. You know, you, you better be lucky that you got out of it this time, you you druggie, you know, you criminal. Um that that type of thing. I further say to people: if you think I'm being melodramatic or being extreme, um, everybody wants to go on a ride along with a police department. Well, go to your local public defender's office and just volunteer a few hours uh, for a few weeks and see what happens. See, look at the cases. Any average case coming in, you know, talk to the attorney, read the documents, the the police reports. Um, go to the motions department and see how judges rule on defense attorney's motions. Um, And I'd say probably 99% of all, and and this is completely off the top of my head, but um, you know, most defense attorney motions, the overwhelming majority get overruled.
0: Yeah. And, you know, going kind of back to the, uh, to these police raids and things like this, you know, you read all the time where some, uh, the police department gets a warrant, which means that a judge has to sign off on this. And by the way, you know, I, I still remember I was in, I think it was judge falls court and he explained how these warrants work. It was really interesting. He he must've been bored. Uh, And he's like, well, what they do is they send him uh, to a judge at three or four in the morning so that uh, the judge is getting up in the middle of the night and, and, and isn't going to read them as thoroughly as they might have anyway. And they sign off on these warrants and then they, they end up going and uh, they raid some couple's house and it turns out to be uh, the wrong number on the house or they got bad information. So they end up throwing this poor little couple at gunpoint to the ground and ransacking their house. And then they go, Oh, sorry, we got the wrong place.
1: Correct and and again, there's very little um, retribution that you could do against the government when they do something like that to you. You can sue, however, you're looking at great cost, emotional uh, expense, and there's there's and I, I'm not a civil law expert. I'm, I'm a criminal law I'm a specialist, um, but there's like sovereign immunity where you have to get the government's permission to sue the government. And this is more of a, in my mind, this is a recent phenomena. And a judge can just say, you know, um, because the government's the government, you can't sue them. And that's why most cases against the government are getting tossed these days.
0: And, um, you know, I'm kind of setting up two of the cases that I'm most familiar that, that you've uh, handled in recent years. And I'm talking about Paul Fullerton and Heidi Lepp. Um, and they're both kind of similar in some ways, right?
1: Correct. Uh, these are both uh, medical marijuana uh, users and activists, and they were acting according to the law with with their all of the the cannabis, from what I saw, um, and yet they were raided by law enforcement and um, had to. You know endure the the horrors of of a criminal law process
0: and in the case of Fullerton you know it seems like from the start that the government basically overreacts uh, to the possibility proven or unproven to this day that Paul was illegally selling marijuana Um, and kind of in this interesting gap time between, you know, we have medical marijuana and Prop 64 is coming, but it's not been passed yet. Um, so a lot of what he actually got accused of doing is now completely legal, but at the time might not have been.
1: Correct. Yeah, that case is still heartbreaking to me to this day. Um, because we, we had to accept a plea in that case. And I think, as far as I know, I, I've won. I So Tully and Weiss, we don't just do plea bargains. Um, when there's a fight to be had, we will fight it uh, to the end, and we've had a lot of success in, in actually winning at jury trials, um, which is where you get justice these days. You're not going to get justice from a judge, or you're not likely to get justice from a judge or a DA dismissing the case after, you know, your attorney, quote, shows them the evidence, end quote. Um, you have to just push things all the way because the government's not going to give up and the judge isn't going to give you a break. And you have to take it to a jury, present your case, and and pray for justice. And I've won a lot of really big cases. Um, Heidi Lepp was, you know, a very big case, and that was a complete win. But Fullerton is, is still heartbreaking because we had to take a plea um, but the reason why we did in that case is because they had told him, you know, it, it was a sting setup and they had preyed on, on his good nature in telling him, Hey, look, my wife has cancer. She's a cancer patient. You know, um, I need to get some, some cannabis to help treat her symptoms. And they kept wearing him down and wearing him down over time. But all I was provided with was sort of the the latter stages of that after you know the talking had been done and i wasn't provided any of these statements about the um alleged wife with cancer and and that type of thing so in looking at what would have presented to uh a jury i i had some concerns in that case and so we we had to accept a plea um but the left case um I think that was 18 different growth sites and it was 30,000 pounds of cannabis. And that was a a complete, not guilty on all charges.
0: I want to get to the left case, but I, I want to finish Paul because you know, to me, the they come in and they raid his place of business, which okay. And then they raid his home. And they like terrorize his wife and his daughter, and they take his daughter away, and they're putting all the pressure in the world on this guy. Mm -hmm. I I mean, over what?
1: Over some plants growing, and over him um, handing over a little, you know, a small bag of, of cannabis to someone who he thought was down on his luck, whose wife had cancer.
0: And that's the point I want to make here, right? Because you know we're talking about a small amount of cannabis. what he sold it for like three hundred dollars or something like that, and and then getting
1: he- like four hundred. and then he immediately took the money and put it in a boot that he keeps around his um, store for uh, collecting money for charity throughout the year. So he didn't even you know he didn't put it in his pocket. He was like, "Well, what am I going to do with this?" And he puts it in a boot. Um, to be given to charity later
0: so this is your crime this is what and and what we figured out 23 officers are in on this raid
1: probably about that yes
0: yeah so I, I mean this just seems like disproportionate governmental force for a very minor crime if there is a crime
1: exactly yeah and and it's it's bizarre it truly is bizarre and it's funny that you bring this up because i've thought about this in trial uh before uh, on cases where it's like the police are little boys who want to play who want to dress up in their black tactical uniforms and you know arm themselves with their ar's and go in their armored vehicles and kick down doors and stuff and it's not it's not like Paul did anything evil. Um, he, 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 you know, he gave uh, some marijuana to, you know, like I said, somebody who he thought was down on his luck, whose whose wife had cancer, and yet, because law enforcement pretends that that was evil, then that justifies all of their actions, and the taxpayers have to pay for all they that expense. But literally, at the base of it, isn't evil. It's it's law enforcement pretending that something is wrong and if we just had a different belief in our head none of that would have happened and none of that was necessary and all that pain and all that expenses could have been spared yeah
0: so um so now going on to uh, to the heidi case and you know if if heidi's listening to this at some point you know please forgive me for for this characterization but Heidi marches to a different drummer. Is that fair to say?
1: That That's fair to say. Um, however, I came into the case very late. And I had, you know, I, I have a, a lot of clients in, in the cannabis industry. And there was a lot of misconception going around uh, about Heidi and what she was doing. And everything that I encountered in the case, I was like, wow, she's really doing everything uh, according to the law. For instance, there was rumors that, hey, Heidi is selling these churches at you know 20000 or $30,000, and she's telling people that if you buy this from me, um, you can have immunity from prosecution. And as I got the actual evidence and I looked at things, um, that wasn't happening at all. I mean, her intentions were awesome, completely pure in this case, I mean, she truly wanted to set up legal medical cannabis to help people. And while she did um, like, have invoices for her services, um, because what she was doing took resources and took money and took time, and it was her job, um, if you couldn't pay, guess what? She didn't charge. And she would give you the services for free. So in no instance did I encounter that that uh, Heidi made any profit or was doing anything wrong. In fact, she lost everything um, by trying to do, by trying to be a good person and trying to bring medicine into people's lives who needed it.
0: Yeah, and and that's where I was headed. Um, is that you know here they're alleging, and and I want to discuss the conspiracy in a second, but. But just you know, she's got this massive operation, and if she's doing something illegal or making all this money, she didn't come out of this with anything, right?
1: Correct, and that's that's coming out of it. Um, <laughs> um in the midst of it, she she wasn't making any money. At no point in time was she um, collecting uh, large amounts of money or, or a profit. Um, she was. It was always a losing enterprise, and yet. So, like, one of one of her visions that she had was she was going to set up a, a cannabis hub where people, and this is back before Prop 64, it, this was under the collective model, um, which is a beautiful model, and and I, and I miss it very much, but people could go and they could get information on, you know, heirloom seeds or something. They could get information on how to grow. They could buy insurance for their crop in case their crop failed or was raided. They could, you know... Um, Meet other like-minded people. They were putting on seminars. They were just doing. A, they were. They wanted to do things the way it should be done. And um, again, they there was a price attached to things, but they never collected on it. They didn't insist on it. It was. It was truly a a perfect collective model. And thank God the jury was able to see that, or half the jury was able to see that, and the DA saw that they, uh, you know, couldn't convince twelve people otherwise and had to dismiss.
0: And and this case of course, ends up being frustrating too, um, because the government decides that the way uh, to deal with whatever happened, and maybe you can describe, was there any wrongdoing on, on the part of anyone in this?
1: Well, I, I think the one thing that I uncovered was that the Butte County legal, procedure that they were using for for cannabis raids and uh, the handling of evidence was completely unlawful and this was a um an error a crime really because it it goes against the law If, if i do something against the law it's a crime if you do something against the law it's a crime if the government does something against the law oops sorry um but so if if let's say there's a murder case. The government can't just take the gun in a murder case while a case is pending and melt it down and say, look, I'm sorry. Um, We don't have enough room in our evidence locker. So we melted the gun down. They can't do that. So why should they be able to do that in cannabis cases? Answer is they can't um, unless they follow a very strict law. They have to um, take pictures. They have to film. um, They have to weigh. They have to, you know, take certain uh, random samples and keep random samples um, before they destroy evidence. And that procedure was not being properly done in Butte County. And we brought that, we fought that, and again, um, in front of a judge, they don't care. It, you know, nothing nothing is gonna happen um, with a judge. Normally speaking, maybe once in a blue moon, some judge will do the right thing. And, and some judges are better than others, some judges are worse than others. It's just like anything. Um, But I, we, we were able to prove that in court, um, that their entire procedure for destroying cannabis evidence in cannabis cases was, was unlawful.
0: And they end up charging her with one of my favorite charges that, that seems like an abuse of power, uh, the felony conspiracy to commit a misdemeanor.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um. Yes. So the the voters quite clearly said to prosecutors in Prop 64, which was a voter initiative, listen, we do not want cannabis treated like a felony. Um, And the prosecutors promptly responded by saying, well, we know a way around this. We could still charge felonies. We can um, charge a felony by charging a uh, conspiracy to commit a misdemeanor. It can be charged as a felony. Um, There's also a few other code sections that they could do, uh, like running a drug house, running a crack house. Um, If you have a grow site, they could also, you know, compare that to running a crack house and charge you with a felony for that. So, um, yeah, it it just blatantly shows that prosecutors in this instance are out to, to appease what they want to do rather than listening to the will of the voters.
0: I mean and and it's not even it's just in drugs. I mean I remember covering a case uh two people stole a catalytic converter out of a out of a parked vehicle. So, you know, normally that would not be a felony, so they decided, oh, uh they conspired to uh steal that catalytic converter, therefore it is a felony.
1: Correct. Yeah. Um it, it's creative, um, targeting by prosecutors, but let me tell you um, something very interesting uh, because I know you're from the Yolo County area. Um, There's a code section on point that says that um, any officer having custody of an inmate who denies uh, an attorney at law who at the request of either the uh, inmate or the inmate's family is guilty of a misdemeanor. Well, I went to, a few years ago, um, went to the Yolo County Jail, and they asked me, you know, are you the attorney of record? And I hadn't made a court appearance at that time, so I can't, you know, honestly say yes. Um, in fact, I think they had the public defender, and they were hiring me to come in, so I hadn't made a court appearance, and they would not let me visit my uh, client. I eventually raised hell and was able to do that, but that was the Yolo County Sheriff's Department all engaging conspiring to break penal code section 825 subsection b um and i didn't see anything happen to the uh, yolo county sheriff or uh the employees that worked at the jail uh, none of them were arrested for a felony even though they were all you know blatantly guilty of it
0: so ultimately they dropped the dropped the case against heidi lepp um They basically determined that they weren't going to be able to win, right?
1: Correct. Um, Think about it. They have to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you are not getting, you know, 11 or 10 people of citizens off the street, they only had half that jury. I think it was 6-6 or 5-7 or something like that. It was a split at the end. And that was with them getting every benefit that they could possibly could in that trial. Um, I was denied the ability to call an expert uh, in the trial. So I was given, I think, 800 pages of critical discovery the day of trial, and I was denied a continuance to properly prepare. So um, they realized that they had had every advantage they could possibly get, every you know, ruling that they really wanted from the judge, I think they got. So if they couldn't win under those circumstances, coming back, I would be able to make adjustments, and they would not. And so they did the right thing and dismissed. and i'm I'm truly grateful for that. And maybe they saw throughout the course of the trial maybe it, w- it was an education process. I knew I know uh, collective law very, very well at this point. I've done probably over ten jury trials and won them all. and at this point, you know, I know that law like the back of my hand. And so maybe to the judge and to the prosecution, by the end of the trial, they felt differently.
0: Had she been uh, defending herself prior to that?
1: Correct. Yes.
0: Um, okay. Uh, so, um, you know, those are a couple past uh, cases. What do you have currently?
1: Um. I don't, I'm, I'm doing less cannabis now, uh, because it changed the law and yes, I, I did have a lot of wins and, and again, I think, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of activists and, and had some very big wins in, in jury trial in court. Um, but uh, you know, off the top of my head, I know we have cannabis cases now, but, um, Things are different after Prop 64 because we don't have the collective defense. If it's a case that's still around from, let's say, you know, before January of last year, then the collective defense applies. Um, but those cases are getting farther and fewer uh, in, in between. So I don't have any big um, cannabis cases right now off the top of my head. And I'm doing. You know, I'm just—I—I I do a lot of criminal law cases, so anything criminal law is really on my plate right now.
0: So, any egregious government con- conduct?
1: Um, well, going back to my point of—if somebody thinks I'm—I'm I'm overstating things, just volunteer for you know three, four hours a week at a public defender's office. Uh, for a couple of weeks, you know, a day, two, three days, something like that. My point is that almost every one of my cases involves government misconduct, government overstating, prosecutorial misconduct, prosecutors, you know, going for, um, I I call it um, sticker shock. So, you know, it's the old trope of somebody going to a used car lot and um, they want to buy a $10,000 car they want to buy it for eight thousand, but they go there and um, the sticker on the car is fifteen thousand. So they have to talk the dealer out of the fifteen thousand to get to ten thousand and not eight thousand. So, um, which is you know really what the car is probably worth. So um, most of my cases just in, involve that. Um, and, and again, I don't want to disparage all judges. There are some awesome, great judges out there. There are some awesome, great prosecutors out there. Um, There are some awesome, great law enforcement officers um, out there. And they're some of the best people ever. Um, On the other hand, you know, it's just like anything. There's some good ones. There's some bad ones. So
0: what do you see as the biggest problem in the system right now?
1: A lack of balance. um, As you pointed out earlier, there's our government was set up. It was James Madison, who was brilliant, and he set things up in terms of checks and balances. And you can read that in the Federalist Papers, um, Numbers 10 and 51, I think, are, are some of the most critical, where he says, look, people are always going to be self-interested. So you have to pit self-interest against self-interest and then have them fight and have things balance out. And that's the only way. You're not going to cure you know, human behavior, but you can use it Um, To cancel each other out or something for for the greater good. Um, And so here, it used to be, I'm 50 years old, and I've been practicing for 20 years. I haven't been practicing for 50 years or 80 years where I would tell you a story like, well, back in my day, it used to be like this. Um, Every week, defense attorneys lose a critical tool. Um, When I first started out, you know, judges were more actively involved in cases. You know, um, DA, what's the offer on this? Well, DA, don't you think that's uh, too high? Shouldn't you come down? Mr. Tully, you know, your client's facing kind of liability. If he gets convicted of everything, it's going to be this. The DA's offering that, but if they offered, you know, the DA's offering X, but if they offered Y, you know, your client should probably take it and that kind of thing. We don't have that anymore. Um, judges defer to prosecutors, for the most part, again, there are, there are some exceptions and they're amazing, uh, judges, but, um, for the most judges out there, basically, in my opinion, view their role as, as the henchman of the prosecutor. So, um, we need more power to the people. We need judges to be, um, more, just more neutral, independent, fair arbiters rather than cheerleaders for the prosecutor um, and and we need a, a better culture too and and I think you know that starts with everybody in the legal profession, including me i when I go to court now, I want to be absolutely honest, I want to be absolutely ethical, I want to be absolutely professional um, in court and and I'm teaching everybody in my office to be that way as well all my my young attorneys coming up. Um, And I think that it it really starts there. Police officers going to court and testifying, you know, to the truth rather than nudging things or blatantly lying about things to get a conviction. You know, everybody needs to have some integrity. And for for my part, I want to work hard on that every day as a human being to become a better human being and bring that to the practice of law.
0: You mentioned that, uh, you know, you don't like to take uh, plea agreements, Um, but, you know, the industry has really gone in the way of plea agreements. And one of the big problems is the trial penalty. So, you know, if you're charged with a crime and you take the plea agreement, you get much less than if you take that to trial and you lose.
1: Correct, yes. Um, although I, I have to say I've been very fortunate for whatever reason. Um, again, I I have... And I'm thankful to the heavens. So I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it in any way. I have a very high win rate in, in jury trials. It's. It's. You know. It's. Um, I'm very. I'm incredibly grateful for that every day. Um, the times when I have gone to trial and, and lost, um, usually the penalty has gone down for whatever reason. And and maybe it's. You know the the judge and and the prosecutor have seen my client as a human being. Um, again, one of my pieces of advice that, that I train the attorneys in my office um, on is everybody will treat your client how you treat your client. Treat your client with respect. Let, and, and I know this might sound corny to some, but let love be the engine behind what you do. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. So let that you know be your fuel. Let it be your guide treat your client with respect and compassion and love and um i believe that you know that that maybe that's a a factor in what i do or just you know judges and, and prosecutors have you know been been very good to my clients um even times when i've been convicted
0: but i think more broadly there 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 seems to be a problem that um you know, trials are kind of vanishing out of the system, replaced by plea agreements. And I understand that from, you know, a resource perspective, but in the Constitution, you have the right to a trial by a jury.
1: Correct. Yeah. And and you're absolutely right. It's just, I think Tullian Weiss is kind of an anomaly. I did, I'm very active in my jury trial. So I would say I don't know what percentage of the cases that I have that I take to trial, but you're absolutely right In within the industry. Um, if, I mean, going, let's go to absolute zero. If every client who got arrested went to court and said, I don't waive time, I want a jury trial, the system would collapse, if not within three days, within seven days, or within 14 days, the entire justice system would collapse. And so... Um, they have to offer plea agreements to keep the system going and uh you're you're right for the most part there are there are plea agreements and i and I do do plea agreements um I probably you know obviously i yeah i'm not sure if I do more plea agreements or jury trials but um i the the balance in for the industry in general is people rarely go to trial and and for the reasons like you brought up the trial penalty where Hey, listen, you know, client. If you plead now, I could keep you out of jail, but if you go to trial and get convicted, you could be looking at prison uh, for three years, and you know even somebody who's innocent is going to want to take a plea agreement
0: so final question uh, what is the most egregious thing that you've seen in your time doing this stuff?
1: Um, I would have too many to list it it happens on a weekly basis if not a daily basis
0: so nothing Um, stands out
1: the entire system itself nothing stands out i mean it, it i could go on and i i could go on for six hours with this off the top of my head without looking at any of my cases wow that's how bad it is
0: yeah and that's the state of collusion
1: correct yes
0: all right uh thank you so much for being on our show
1: thank you so much for having me it's always great talking to you i truly respect your work Uh, i'm a big fan of what you do and i wish you all the best in 2020
0: thank you that was joseph tully an attorney out of martinez california does some great trial work um i had the pleasure of getting to watch him do the closing arguments in the Heidi Lepp trial and he won that thing. Um, the jury, uh, ended up, uh, being hung, but, but that, that was enough to get, uh, the charges dismissed in that case. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm David Greenwald. Join us again next time for some more injustice. Thank you.